0: Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message grateful that you're here. Maybe it's your first Sunday with us. We are grateful for that. Thank you for coming out today. And as you already heard, that blue card is for you. So if it's your first time, please grab the blue card, fill it out, bring it to the back of the room. We'd love to give you a gift. And we want to honor our online family. Could you guys give it up for our online family who is joining us? So glad you are with us today. It is such a privilege to be celebrating Jesus truly around this world. And uh, grateful that we get to do that. Well, today we are going to conclude a series we started uh, four weeks ago now, uh, after Easter, called Wounds. And what we've been doing throughout these weeks is we've been exploring how the believer, those who have their hope in Jesus, when we are wounded, there is also incredible truth that comes with knowing Christ. And so I want you to understand being a a Christian, giving your life to Jesus, surrendering to him doesn't mean you won't be wounded. But what it does mean is that when you are wounded, there are truths that you alone have. And if you're not in Christ today, we are glad you are here and you are invited to know Jesus and his grace is for you and you've come to the right place this morning. And so we've learned that as believers, we can embrace the wound because the wound doesn't name us. You are not named by your wound. You're named by your Redeemer. That's good news. That's real good news. The second thing we discovered is that we have to embrace the mystery of the wound. There are times when, like Job, we don't understand. We don't get chapters one and two. We don't know why the wound has occurred. And yet we can trust God knows us and God is near. And how many of you were blessed last week as Josh preached this message? Can we thank Josh? Thank you, Josh. Bringing the gospel to our hearts. And just continuing to discover the Father's love and talked about grief and loss and the wound caused by death. And, and today, I wanna to wrap up this series by talking about what do we do when the person closest to us hurts us? When the person closest to us hurts us. Now, some of you gave a little nudge to a person sitting next to you. That was not kind for you to do that because the person closest to you is you, <laughs> So here's the title of today's message. Write this down. I did it to myself. I did it to myself. You are closer to you than anyone else in your life. You go with you wherever you go. You should know that. Some of you think it'll be easier if you move south or move across the country. You're still going there. You go with you. Oftentimes we think, though, well, if I could just get away from this person, it's that person's fault. No, no. You go with you. Hear this. You are the one who speaks the most to yourself. You speak the most negativity or the most God's promises to yourself. You either declare God's truth in life or you embrace words of death over yourself. Yesterday, we were um, having a moment around our family table. We like to have honor moments. So we said, hey, let's honor one another. Let's each take a moment to honor each other, say something honoring around each other. And one of my children, Nameless, goes, this is going to be easy for all you guys because there's so many great things you can say. <laughs> I lost it. He li- he, oh, Nameless said that. And it was awesome. I was like, my boy, come on, somebody. He knows. He's walking in confidence. You gotta take no time to think about what you're gonna say. Just love it. But you say negative things about you all the time. You say positive things, and you wound yourself. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You have the potential to cause a wound in your life like no one else does. No one else. We've talked a lot about external wounds, what people do when they hurt us, but you also carry with you the potential to wound yourself, to wound others, to wound your relationship with God. So today, I wanna boil this message down to two primary words. We're gonna talk about prevention and redemption prevention and redemption. I want us to discover by looking at a moment in scripture, how we might prevent the wounding and how we might be redeemed if we've been wounded. So lean in because I truly believe through prayer and preparation of this message, there are some of us today where this message is God's grace to say, I'm warning you in a good way, but I'm warning you. Like there's prevention. You don't have to walk through this the way you're intending to. God is so good and so loving that he's saying, I'm telling you right now, the path that you are on leads to death. And I want to give you some warning signs to prevent the wound. Stop, stop. Before the marriage ends up a wreck, before the relationship goes down, before you run your finances into the ground, but whatever it is, just, just prevent it. So we're going to look at some ways that we might prevent. And here's where many of us might find ourselves today. Well, what happens once I've caused the wound, once I've made the decision? Well, hey, there's a word called redemption. How many are grateful for redemption? How many are grateful that there's a God we sang about that says, your love doesn't give up on me. The cross is my confidence. So in true pastor fashion, I have seven points. That's a, that's a completion number. So that's already bonus points for me. And they all start with the same letter, the letter C. Wow. Are, are you kidding me? C is for cookie, and that's good enough for me. So Cookie Monster approves. I approve. So I advise you to take some notes today. Statistics say that note takers are more likely to go to heaven. So you should take your notes today. If you never took notes, a good day to start. Seven points, seven words, three of them with prevention, four with redemption. Here we go. Second Samuel 11, 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war... David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So, what are we reading here? This is a lengthy verse, but it carries with it an important truth for us to discover. In the spring, it was a certain time of year. And what were kings expected to do? What does it say? When kings, what's the word? Normally. When they normally go out to war. Yeah. David, who if you're not familiar with, this is King David. This is David who's taken down Goliath. Now King David, who has taken the kingdom. He rules the army. He doesn't go out. He sends out. He sends Joab and the Israelites to fight on his behalf. And David stays behind in Jerusalem. David is not where he's supposed to be, and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And this is a sign of danger. Watch out. Here's the first word I want to introduce to you. I believe that David grew complacent. Complacent. How me know that complacency is the enemy to excellence? That when we grow complacent, when we say, but I've already put in the work, I've already done the hard work of this relationship. I read my Bible once this week. I went to church once this month. I already did that. When we grow complacent, it's a warning sign that we're gonna wound ourselves. Gentlemen, listen up. Mother's Day is next week. Whatever you provided last year doesn't count this year. (laughs) The chair probably broke already and the meal's already been eaten. You can't just say, but I already did something. No, no. It's a new year. It's intentionality. It's being active, not passive. I read this quote. There is no, that was my mom who said amen. So I know I'm listening, mom. I got you. Mother's Day is coming. There is no point. Listen to this. There's no point in life's journey so dangerous, so dangerous as when one has arrived at a comfortable place and lowers one's guard. This commentator says there's no, there's no greater danger. There is no greater danger in your life or mine when we just lower our guard, when we just grow complacent. Come on, you've heard the story of the tortoise and the hare and the hare takes off running and because he's a little bit of a jerk, he runs back to check on the tortoise. How you doing back here, buddy? You're never gonna make it to the finish line. Runs ahead again, comes back and checks on him. He just does his thing. He thinks he's got the race in the bag. What does he do? He gets to the end of the line and he grows complacent. He says, I'm so good. I've done so much hard work. I'm just going to kick my feet up and take it easy. Complacency will lead you to wound yourself. Complacency. The author Paul writes this. I love his language. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Run to win. Now, some of you like to run for fun and I just don't get it. I don't understand. If you, I like to pick heavy things up and put them down. If you see me running, you should start running because something has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> but, but some of you, you run, but here's, here's what I know about you. When you run, you're running to win. You're running to break your own record. You're running to be a little faster. If you're in a race, you're running for the prize. And Paul says, you know that everybody runs in a race, but only one's gonna get that prize. So don't be complacent in your running. Run with purpose. Be intentional. And he says this in the next verse, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So he's writing to believers, and here's what I want you to hear this morning. If you are in Christ, how beautiful that whatever you are pursuing is not temporary, but eternal. Like, don't segment your life. You are a new creation. Every part of you now has eternal impact. Your relationships, your work ethic, how you manage your finances, it all can be used for kingdom purposes. So the we there is he's saying we get to do this for an eternal prize. Now lean in. If you don't know Christ today, here's the hope and the invitation. You're invited to live for an eternal purpose. Come on, you don't have to just live for temporary things. It's why our vision is that you would know God, really know him, find freedom and discover your purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose, an eternal one. And Paul says, you got to run with purpose. He says in the next verse, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. And I think so many of us in life, we get to this place of complacency where we let our guard down, where we say things like it's not a big deal. There were shows that you used to never watch. You had such high media standards and now you've lowered them. You've grown complacent. You said, it's, it's okay, it's okay. It's not that bad. There were people that you would never pair your life with. I'm not talking about associate with, I'm saying run in the same direction with you had different standards and now you're finding yourself lowering your standards to their level. You've grown complacent. Well, it's not a big deal. It's, it's just, I'm being a missionary. Who are you saving? You look more like them. Don't, and I just recommend for the singles, don't do missionary dating. Well, I'm gonna date them and save them. No, you're not. He's gonna lower your standard. I'm just, I'm just a warning sign today. Yes. Because the complacency is going to lead to what we see next. So, so ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, where have I become complacent in my walk with you? Where am I no longer? Where is it where I normally did this? Now I'm not. When I should be living this way, now I'm not. And so David is at home when he shouldn't be. And it says in the next verse, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, a little context here. David sees Bathsheba. Bathsheba is not being provocative in any way. This is customary. In fact, as we'll find out, she's most likely purifying herself from some uncleanness. She's not trying to lure David in. There's no fault on Bathsheba in this moment. David isn't where he's supposed to be. David is not supposed to be home. And Bathsheba is here. And David, what does he do? He sees, he sends, and he surveys the situation. He sees something. Oh, I see, there's a woman over there. Let me send somebody to find out who that is. By the way, David is married at this point. Let me see who that is. He surveys the situation and gets back information that this woman is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, if David is not complacent, the next verse should say, David hit pause on the whole thing. David was a man of honor. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of integrity. He found out that this woman was married and not just married, as we'll find out, Uriah is one of his best friends, one of his mighty men in the army who's fighting It says, that's my best friend's wife. Some of you, you don't need Netflix and no novella. You don't need that. You need the Bible. This is drama enough. This is David saying, that's my best friend's girl. What is he going to do? Well, he's complacent. And the next verse says, David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness And then she went back home. It's important for you to know the author puts that detail in there about Bathsheba because what we're seeing is David has now complete disregard for the law of God. Not just the law that says you don't take another man's wife, but there was a law that said when a woman was cleansing herself from her period, there is no sexual intercourse. What we're seeing is a man who says, I don't care. I can do whatever I want. I'm not hurting anybody else. Ah, but David, you don't realize you have the potential to hurt you more than anybody else. You're wounding yourself. And David says, I don't care what the law says. And he takes her and he sleeps with her. And then verse five, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And if this was a TV show, you know that's how season one ends. <laughs> and now you got to wait like, oh my, is it his baby? I don't know what's going to happen. She sends word. This is, this is scripture. Some of you, you should read your Bible. This, this is scripture. Like this is what we're seeing. Humanity in its depravity when we grow complacent and push against God's word and his standards for our lives. And we say, but I can do whatever I want. And the God who made you says, I know you can, but you shouldn't. (laughs) I know you can. I gave you free will, but you shouldn't. You should trust me. It's going to end in a wound. It's going to be painful. There's going to be death. It's going to be heartache. Trust me with your relationships. Trust me with your identity. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your work. Trust me with your future. Put it in my hands when we grow complacent, it will always lead to this word, compromise. You'll compromise. Because we're not intentional anymore. We're not actively honoring the Lord. And so when we're just, I'm okay. It's not a big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. I can do what I want. Oh, look what I saw. Let me find out. Let me poke around a little bit. Okay, this isn't that bad. Compromise. Compromise. So many times scripture tells us it just takes a little bit of yeast to mess up the whole bread. It just takes a little bit. Just a little bit of the world. Just a little bit of patterns of this world. Now, here's the hope because we don't want to leave here beat up. We want to be built up in Jesus' name. The hope for you as a follower of Christ is you have been given, scripture says, you have been given everything you need to live a godly life. So when we compromise It's not because God didn't provide for us the power through the Holy Spirit, it's because we rejected that power. What hope you and I have that we can say, I don't have to live that way. Could you just say that, just say, I don't have to. Come on, I don't have to. You don't have to be complacent. You don't have to compromise. Here's here's what you have. You have a savior who died for you, paid the price for your sin, promised the Holy Spirit, And now there's a strategy. We have a savior and a strategy. Here's a strategy. James chapter 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some verses are tricky. Some verses don't make sense. I think this one is pretty simple. If it's a math equation, it is submit plus resist equals devil flees. I mean if this is a promise of God, then it's gotta be true. I'm gonna submit, that's a surrendered life to the Lord. Yeah, but I'm feeling a temptation. Resist. Not in your own strength. Notice it's not resist and then submit. That would be works-based religion. It's first submit to the grace of our God. It's I'm submitting to the one who already saved me. Don't let the enemy twist this message. This is not a message of moralism. If you are saved, it is because Jesus has paid the price for your sins. There's no other way to be saved except by the grace of God. And now that you are saved, you work out your salvation, scripture says. You work it out. That's like saying you went and got a gym membership and now you're an athlete, but you never went to the gym. Bro, no. You might be in the club, but you got to work it out. Yeah, right. Does that make sense? Because like, I don't want you to hear that like, oh, this is just, they're just preaching that I have to do this to be saved. No, no. You are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What could save a wretch by me? By me? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah. But how dare I look at that salvation and say, and now I will live however I want and not honor the Lord. I'll say it this way. You can't live like hell and expect heaven results. Paul says in Romans 6, should we just go on sinning so that more grace can be given to us? He says, no, absolutely not. You, you work out your salvation, but when we grow complacent, we'll compromise. And once you compromise, here is the immediate temptation. We saw it in the garden. Concealment. Concealment. What was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They realized they were naked and ashamed and they what? They, they hid They concealed. They put on some fig leaves. That ain't gonna work, bro. It's drafty. Ain't no fig leaves gonna cover you up right now. Some of us are walking around in fig leaves thinking nobody notices. And the reality is we all notice. (laughs) We all notice. And your heavenly father notices. And guess what? He's got a better plan for your life. Because the story ends that God gives them garments and God clothes them and sends them out of the garment. Why would you keep walking around in fig leaves when the Lord of the universe wants to put you on a fur coat? Give you something a little better. Like this concealment is exactly what David does. So he calls Uriah back. He tries to send him home hoping that he'll sleep with his wife and then say, oh, the baby's yours. And Uriah says to David in verse 11, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And you know what David is seeing in this moment? Character, integrity, integrity. He's seeing something that he himself did not possess. Uriah's like, I'm not going to go home. What are you, crazy? Everybody's out there fighting. Get me back in the battle, Dave. i Am I going home? And David tries again. This time he tries to get Uriah drunk so that he'll go home and sleep with his wife. And he won't do it. He just passes out outside the kingdom gates. I'm not going home. So David says, all right, I know what I'll do to conceal this. He gives Uriah a letter to bring to Joab and the letter says, pull all the troops back and keep Uriah in the front line so they kill him. Concealment. You got to understand if you're carrying around hidden sin, wounds, you will stop at nothing to conceal it because that's exactly how the enemy wants you to live. You'll you'll be tireless in your concealment because the enemy is such a liar and a deceiver that he tells you, if anyone finds out, you're ruined. You're ruined. But he's the one who steals, kills, and destroys. He's the father of all lies. And Jesus, the truth, says, confess. The truth will set you free. He is the truth. Jesus wants to set you free, but too many of us conceal our sin. So how, how, um, how forward do you want me to be in this service? How, how, how blunt you want me to be, everybody? You okay if I go, if I'm a little blunt? Okay, I'm getting thumbs up and nods. So if you don't like this, then you blame Josh. Josh said, amen. And make sure you come back next week. I'm not even preaching. Amy's preaching. Oh wait. So let me just put some handles on this real quick. Just, I want to connect the dots, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. How do we conceal our sin in the 21st century? Some of you have become perfectionists with deleting your email history. Because you know if your boss sees what you're doing, you'll lose your job. Some of you, the scariest thought is if your spouse or parent grabs your phone and sees the text message thread, sees the websites you visit, terrifies you. You you get upset, they grab you, that's my phone, don't touch my phone. Why? Why? Hey. We all know it's not water in the water bottle anyway. So why are you acting like it is? (laughs) Like these are ways we we try to conceal our sin and our wound. And the enemy has you backed up against the wall thinking, if I confess my sin, I'm going to be ruined. And I'm just here today to say, absolutely not in Jesus' name. There's actually opportunity for you to find freedom if you would confess your sin. God is so gracious he has you here today. So gracious that he has you here. So David backs up against the wall, has Uriah killed, marries Bathsheba thinking that will fix it and the text tells us the thing displeased the Lord. It displeased him. So what is God to do when he's displeased? What would would God do? Well, it depends on your view of who God is. I've heard people say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. He was just angry and wrathful. No, 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 same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. So what do we know about God? He's holy, he's just, he's loving. And so here's how God responds to David's sin. 2 Samuel 12, 1, I think the most grace-filled verse in this moment. The Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Does it say the Lord sent lightning to David? Does it say the Lord struck David down? It says the Lord sent Nathan to David do you know what I believe today God is sending some people into your life to say just stop just stop come on don't you don't want your story to include this when you tell your story years later to people in your life your kids your grandkids your friends you don't have to include this chapter stop stop God's sending people to you so the Lord sends Nathan to David you know what this word is we're talking redemption now community community. We need each other. You need people in your life. It is not just a, well, I've got Jesus and I'm good to go relationship. It's not. It's not Bible. You don't see that anywhere. David needed Nathan. People need each other. Paul needed Silas. Peter needed Jesus. We all need Jesus. And we all need people. You you and I need community. Community. So, so God in His grace says, "You know what I'm going to do for David. I'm going to send him Nathan. This is your small group, everybody. How many are thankful that you have a small group leader that puts in the time to pray for you, to encourage you? You have small group members that check in on you. I know I am. My Wednesday morning crew. We show up. We drink more coffee than we should at 7 a.m. at Panera. We keep them in business. We carry each other. So here's what I want to say to you. Right, spring semester is ending in two weeks." Everyone say aw. Aww. But then June semester starts two weeks later. Everyone say yay. yay. Come on. So here oh yeah, that's fine. It's like Chuck E. Cheese. I say Chucky. E. You say cheese. Here, here's what I want you to understand. We're starting a new semester of small groups in June. Some of you who are not in a group yet, join. It's a four week one. This is like the, the lowest commitment level you could make. Four weeks. Four weeks. Just say for four weeks, I'm going to try this small group. All of our groups in June are sermon based. So we're going to talk about Sunday's message. We have a lot that are grilling chills. It involves food and cars, barbecue, pizza, whatever. It's just hanging out, eating food and talking about the message. You need community. Yeah, you need it. You can't come here on Sunday. Even if you were to go 52 out of 52 a year, you are still not finding community with someone who can say, tell me about the concealment. Open up to me about what's really going on. Come on, we get to stay pretty ambiguous in this setting. The Holy Spirit does his work, but that's why you need to be in a small group to find freedom. So God sends a small group to David, Nathan. And Nathan tells David a story of two people, one rich, one poor. The rich man has a guest coming. And instead of using his own sheep for the banquet, he takes the poor man's only lamb, kills it, and David responds and says, he's outraged. That man should be killed for what he's done. And then if you grew up on Veggie Tales like I did, you hear the voice of Pa grape saying, you are the man, David. You are that man. Oftentimes our own sin can blind us. Jesus said, we're so good at taking out specks of dust out of other people's eyes and we got a two by four chilling in our face. We get blinded. We don't even see it. And God in his grace, this is great. This is grace. This isn't judgment. This is grace. God sends David, Nathan. I'm going to send you this man to call you out. And David could respond any way he wants, can he? He's the king. He's already taken a man's wife, killed her husband, lied about the whole thing. What will David do? Disregard it? Killed Nathan? I mean, he'd do anything. It says in the next verse, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I want to talk about that word in a moment. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Notice this pushes against culture. David doesn't say, all right, I made a mistake. Come on, how often do we hear that in culture when someone's called to the carpet on a decision? I made a mistake. Or everybody does it. Come on, just, it it was a moment of weakness. Moment of weakness. David doesn't say any of that. He calls it what it is. I've sinned. And notice, he doesn't even go horizontal. He goes vertical. He says, I've sinned against God, Nathan. He recognizes, watch this, when we wound, the first one we wound is God. When we sin, we wound the God who's created us, who loves us, who made us. And David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And look at Nathan's reply. The Lord has taken away your sin. Could you give God praise if you've had your sin taken away by Jesus Christ? I mean, thank you, God. What's his response after community comes? It's this word, confession. Confession. He confesses. He has an option to confess or not. Maybe the reason why the wound hasn't been healed yet in your life is because you haven't confessed it. You haven't confessed it. And here's why I invite you to confess your sin to the Lord today because of scripture. If, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, if we confess our sins, what's the word there? He is what? Faithful. Faithful. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God alone is able to forgive you because it's by his wounds that you've been healed. So the wounded savior can heal you of your wounds because He's already paid the price for them. He's done it. You gotta understand, salvation is free to me, but it wasn't free to the savior. He paid it all for you. He paid it all so that now we are told the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's a gift. No one can boast. But I could stand up here all day with a gift in my hand and until you receive it, until you take it, it's just in my hands. How do we take the gift? We confess we need it. Confess. He's faithful to forgive heal us of all unrighteousness. So let's see what happens because it's not the end of the story. Kind of wish it was how one person after the 930 they said, I thought you were going to stop before that part came up, but I'm glad you kept going. You got to hear how the story ends. There's two more points. It says, but because by doing this, this is Nathan talking to David after he says, you're not going to die because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. And that's got to be a verse that makes us say, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I don't. Why? Why did David's decisions end in the loss of his son? Why? And here's, here's what I want to offer this morning is this word that we need to understand. Consequence. Consequence. And listen, <laughs> I know it's so easy for us to maybe lean in a direction where we say, but God's forgiven me on my sins. Doesn't that mean there's no more consequences for my actions? Okay, lean in, lean in. The eternal consequence has been paid for by Jesus Christ. You are saved and sanctified, justified, just as if you never sinned. He looks at you and he sees his son. And at the same time, if you think that means that you can just live however you want consequence free you are missing the heart of the gospel yeah. God doesn't give you a free pass on all decisions so that you can live however you want there's still law in this world there's still cause and effect you can't drive however you want and then get mad at the police officer that pulls you over and say yeah but you don't understand I'm a Christian I can do whatever I want you should be catching bad guys leave me alone go do something else no you can't say that there's a there's a consequence there's a con- and sometimes the consequences are heavy. In this moment, it is very heavy for David. Lose his son, for Betsheba to lose her son is a consequence. I just think we need to hear that. Now, don't confuse here. Don't confuse consequence with condemnation. Yeah. You are not condemned in Christ Jesus. The Father looks at you and loves you, and because he loves you, there are moments we just don't understand. Just as a parent, could you imagine parents for a moment, maybe we'll understand this. If your kid said, yeah, but I'm your, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I should never get in trouble for what I do because of the relationship. That's not love. That's not understanding consequence, cause, effect, results. There's a, there's a consequence. And in the consequence, there's still hope for redemption because that's our word, isn't it? Still, still hanging off for redemption. So let's see how it ends up. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him, say the name with me, Solomon. Solomon. The Lord loved him. Solomon. Now, Solomon comes from this Hebrew word, Shalem, which means a completeness, and it also comes from a Hebrew word, Shalom, which means peace. So, So watch, I think this is so beautiful. David is hurting. Bathsheba is hurting. There's been a consequence for their decision. God and his grace has brought community. David has confessed his sin. The child is lost. And now there's a new child born to them. And they look and they say, you are, here's our last word, completion. Your completion to the wound. You, you bring this thing full circle because we've surrendered to the Lord. There's a, there's a wholeness. There's a peace here. There's a completion. Here's what you need to hear this morning. Everybody your wound can still be redeemed by the Redeemer. Please, this is kind of going back to the first part. You are not named by the wound that you've caused, even if you've caused it. It does not get that power to name you, but rather, but rather, when we surrender to the Lord, he has the potential to redeem it. That is such good news to complete it. Now, I've read, I read this next verse. I, I've always stopped here. I don't, I've always stopped here. I read the next verse, and I saw something I've never seen before. Ne- never seen it. Let me show you. Maybe you have And If you've seen this before, I need to talk to you because I don't know why you never told me about this, okay? Here, here's what I read. It says, the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, that's Solomon, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Now, I, I've never known that Solomon had another name, Jedediah. Anybody else, that's new news to you? Yeah. That's kind of new news to me, Jedediah. And here's what I know that's so beautiful about Jewish tradition, Jewish people, the names have such significance. Yeah. They matter. Everything is symbolic. Everything matters. So I said, well, I wonder what Jedediah means. If Solomon means shalem, shalom, completeness and, and peace, what does Jedediah mean? Ready? Jedediah means this. Beloved by the Lord. Beloved of the Lord. And I sat with this verse and I really sensed the Holy Spirit saying this. What you and I need to know is that despite the wounding that we've caused, we are still loved by the Lord. This child could have been named anything. We see that in scripture. And God says, Nathan, I need you to go and make sure that David and Bathsheba know, loved by the Lord. This child's going to grow up with a little bit of a messy story. His mom being taken by, who is now his dad, his, his mom's husband being murdered. All, all of this is a part of this childhood's family of origin. And God in his grace says, I, I need him to know I love him. Don't you think God needs you to know today that he loves you? that you are wounding yourself and others or you have wounded and God still says, but I love you, I love you and if you would come to me and confess, oh, I'm gonna heal you and I'm gonna use this wound for redemption. I'm gonna take your mess and I'm gonna make it a message of my grace. I'm gonna take what's in your hand and say, I can use that. The people needed a much better king than David and so do we. And we have one in Jesus. And Jesus enters our world and enters our messy lives. And he brings us healing and freedom. In fact, let me share with you one more verse where we read about Jesus's family tree when Matthew, the first New Testament author, begins to write, he starts with the genealogy. He starts by showing us how Jesus has come into this world, born of a virgin, and he highlights certain individuals throughout the story. And when he gets to Solomon, look at how he writes it. He says, And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. My boy, Matthew, Why are you taking time to throw shade on David? Why add that little detail? Why couldn't you just move past that? We don't need to bring that up. We're trying to conceal that. Like, think about why did he have to add the little comma and the, don't forget, Solomon, mom, to Uriah's wife. Don't forget Uriah's wife. Why would he do that? And here's what I believe. Because God's not afraid of your mess. God's not afraid of your sin. Jesus has overcome that. You don't have to conceal it. He wants to show you how powerful he is even over your wounds. And he says, look, don't forget, I entered this world and this story with this man and that woman, and I still brought the Savior through. Don't you think he can do something miraculous with your life? I want you to know that. I want to pray that you would know that. So in a moment, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to respond in this way. If today you're hearing this message and, and you're just sensing like this was for me, like I know that there are areas in my life where I'm complacent. There's areas where I'm compromising. I am so tempted to conceal my sin or you've, you've made the wound and you're wondering, can God ever redeem this? Can God really use this? I just feel so bad about myself, so guilty, so condemned. And today I want the Holy Spirit to say, no, no, you are beloved by the Lord that in any of those categories, I want to pray with you and for you. And so we're, we're just going to stay in our seats and ask you to bow your heads in this moment as we pray. And you're saying, Pastor Keith, would you remember me in this prayer? Would you raise your hand? Come on, don't, don't, be, don't be embarrassed on this, whether it's I need prevention of the wound, I need redemption of the wound. There are things that I have done that I know God is able to heal. And right now he's beginning to bring healing. This is a form of confession. You're saying to the Lord, here I am. Here I am, God. Father, you see every hand that's going up. You see those who are whispering to you right now saying, be my redeemer. And God, you respond because you're faithful, because you're gracious, because you're slow to get angry and abounding in love. And I thank you that like you sent Nathan to David, so you have sent people into our lives today to say, don't do it. Don't make that a part of your story. Surrender to the Lord. God, I believe as we get in our cars, as we leave this place, that you are gonna keep working and that we are gonna surrender what you point out in our lives, areas where we're concealing. I pray for those who think they've made such a mess of their lives that you can't do anything. In Jesus' name, that is a lie and it will not stand any longer in their lives, but rather they will walk in the freedom that says, my God is my redeemer and he writes my story. Thank you that you're faithful. In your name, amen. Amen. Everyone look at me for a moment because I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never confessed that you need him to save you. You've never said, be the Lord of my life. And today you are invited to say, Jesus, rescue me, forgive me, come make me new. In a moment, we're going to pray as a church and the power isn't in the prayer. It's in Jesus Christ, the person. But if you want to make that decision today, you want to know that you are saved and made new. Scripture says, When we confess with our mouth that Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead and believe in our hearts, we are saved. That's it. You can't work your way into God's salvation. He's done the work for you. And right now you're gonna make that decision and we wanna celebrate. So we're gonna pray as a church. And if you wanna know Christ today without hesitation, I wanna invite you to raise your hand in this moment to say, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We're gonna pray. Let's pray this together, church. Let's say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church family, let's celebrate with those who are putting their faith in Jesus.